0: Welcome, guys. Um, it is Pentecost Sunday. How many know Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit got poured out after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? Um, it's actually tied to um, the Feast of Weeks. You know, the Jewish feasts that God gave the children of Israel under the Old Covenant were prophetic messages. And they were types and shadows, Everything in the Bible, in the Old Testament, was a shadow, the scripture says, pointing to Christ. And, you know, right as the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, Jesus was being sacrificed as a perfect picture of, of the lamb that died for the sins of the world. And they had patterns in the Old Testament. The Feast of Weeks, which is the uh, what we call Pentecost, 50, it's 1150 right now, now it's 51, um, the 50 were 50 days from the, the Sabbath um, after Passover. So Jesus' uh, death, burial, resurrection on the Sunday was the day that they were, the, the priests were waving the sheaves in resurrection power as a pe- as a message of the first fruits. Jesus is our first fruits. It's very prophetic and all the things. And then they counted off seven weeks, and which leads us to forty-nine days, and the fiftieth was the celebration of the Feast of Weeks. That's roughly it. There's a lot more to it. Um, it's all their stuff's very complicated that the Jews can't even keep it straight. They they get they they like like Christian churches, they argue about what's right, <laughs> you know. Um, but it's amazing, though, because the Jewish tradition, or the Jewish what's tradition? Their tradition is, though, it's not written in the Bible. Their tradition, as held by the by the Jewish teachers, is that Moses, right at Pentecost, under the Old Covenant, when the fifty days after them coming out of Egypt when the Passover lamb was slain, they were at the Mount where Moses was coming down with the law and they came and they brought the law and in the law, because the people sinned and rebellion against God, 3000 people died when Moses came down the mountain with the law, which speaks of how the law brings death. It does. When the law came, I was convicted as a sinner because I don't keep the law. They didn't keep the law. 3,000 people were put to death. Interesting enough, when Jesus came and has our Passover lamb, and and they counted it all 50 days, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. And now God, what he spoke about in Jeremiah 31, how he would one day write the law on our hearts, and he would write the law in our heart. God comes down in perfect timing, pours out his Holy Spirit on on the believers, and 3,000 people were added to the church. Now, was that an accident? I don't think so. And so uh, we celebrate today that the Holy Spirit has come, and I thank God for the Spirit of God. It's uh, uh, it's kind of what I want to talk about today, kind of. Uh, It is what I want to talk about, but... almost, it's going to be kind of a, we'll get to there. All right. I want to talk to you really about flag of surrender. And I want to talk to you about who's building your house. All right. How many like little catchphrases for, for, uh, titles, (laughs) who's building your house? Um, there's a scripture that says there, you know, when we start to look sorry i've been sick and it's uh i'm not anymore but my voice may crack i'm sorry i got oh, you know how that is anyway i won't go any further but there's a scripture that talks about there's a way that seems right unto men but the end of which is death what that tells me and this is important for all of us to understand man's way is the opposite of god we want to do everything our way and in so doing he tells us he goes ahead he knows everything you know there's nothing he doesn't know he sees the beginning from the end he knows how many hairs are on your head he's the most knowledgeable person in the universe and he knowing the beginning from the end the future he knows everything that's gonna happen has happened he's all knowing and being all knowing, he lets us know that there's a way that seems right unto men, but he's telling us where that road leads to. And it leads to death. And I want to talk to us about that today. If you got your Bibles, you can turn over to Psalms 127. Everybody awake? This is one of my favorite verse chapters in the Bible. Now, I'm a builder, so. Um, when I say I'm a builder, I'm a licensed general contractor. And so I've done, you know, I've built homes. I've remodeled homes. I've added additions on the homes. So God's speaking my language in this chapter. And it starts off, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. It is vain for you. Vain is, you know, prideful, arrogant. It's vain. It's empty. There's nothing in it. It's vain for you to rise up early and retire late. Some of y'all need to hear that right there. It's vain to get up early and go to bed late, to eat the bread of painful labors. People that work too much, You need to hear this. Work is important, but it's not the whole deal. To eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. That word sleep could just as easily, and it can be interpreted, rest. Even in our rest, the Lord gives to us. Some of us, the Lord, sometimes the Lord will cause some of his people to go through seasons where he tells them to be still and not work. So that they can learn that the Lord gives to their beloved even in the rest. We've got to learn how to be still and rest. Um, This scripture, this passage of scripture is so important to me because the Lord's just ingrained this into me. And when you tie this in with, you know, there's a way that seems right unto men. See, what happens is we're always uh, doing things, right? We're doers. Most people are doers. They want to do something. What are you doing? And with most people, they're doing the wrong thing. And there's very little fruit in it. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I want to do something that's going to have lasting fruit, that's going to last forever. And I want to give you... um, you turn over, you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we're given, it's called that, that's known as the chapter of faith. It goes through the heroes of the faith, and basically God is recalling the different people under the old covenant that had did remarkable things through faith in God. But one of the things that it talks about is Abraham and how he, God called Abraham out to follow him to a place he didn't know where he was going. He was leaving a a very thriving city, probably the greatest thriving city in the earth at that time, the greatest wealth at that time. And the Lord calls him out and he says, I'm going to take you to a a place you don't know. And I'm going to bless you. But uh, Abraham had to be willing to leave everything he knew. This is key. Everything he knew to follow a God who showed him things he did not know. I want to just—you know how scary that is. Imagine God speaks to you today, when you and He tells you to pack up everything, leave your family—not your immediate family, but like your—you know—maybe you leaving your dad and your mom and your uh, your brothers and sisters—and I want you to sell your house, sell all your furniture close down your businesses, and follow me, but I'm not going to tell you where you're going, I just want to keep you in the dark so that you trust me, and that your faith is so in me that I'm going to show you just a little bit, just to get you going, but you're not going to know where you're going. Now, how many of you volunteering for that one? (laughs) A few of you? (laughs) Okay. Well, if you're volunteering because you got it bad right now, that don't count. <laughs> he he had it good. He had it good. Things were going good. Yeah, some 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 people, you know, the grass really is greener on the other side. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, <laughs> But I just want us to get an image here. God called this guy out of blessing under the world's to do a plan that doesn't make sense, that doesn't make logical sense, to follow him. And in Hebrews, the Lord, the, the Lord gives us some insight. Uh, let me turn over there. Hebrews 11. and By faith, this is verse 8. Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. This is important. I'm going to tie this in for a second, but I just want a key. He, he, this was not his plan. He didn't know where he was going. All right? By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as, a, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Now, here's the key, verse 10. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. See, what Abraham was looking for was a place that God was building. And that's where... You know the title of this message really is who's building your house. And I and I want to bring us to an understanding of how important it is that we allow God to build the house because unless the Lord builds the house all of your sweat and your labor profits you nothing. It will f- Jesus said it like this. He he compared it to a wise man and an unwise man. The wise man heard Jesus' words and acted upon them. And he said he's the man that built his house upon a rock. And when the storms came, his house stood up strong because it was built with a foundation. As verse 10 says here in Hebrews, for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. When we hear the Lord's words and we obey them, we're people who are building The Lord's house on rock, which is our house, which is our life, on rock. And when the storms come, the house stands. But those that don't have wisdom, and they hear his word, but they don't act upon it. A hearer word, but not a doer. You can hear God's word, but if you don't do it, it doesn't help you. As a matter of fact, Jesus compares you to the man who builds his house on sand. And when the storms come, the house falls and great is its fall. You determine what kind of house, or let me put it like this, you determine what kind of life you're going to have. So let me say it like this. Who's building your life? Think about your life as a building. Who's building it? We wake up and we say, what do I want to do today? Sometimes we wake up, and we're like, you know what I'm really excited about? You know, if you're a musician, you're excited about your music, and everything's driven towards your passion. Um, If you're, you know, you can plug in whatever you're passionate about. But we're consumed with what we want as people. And as people, we continue to do that same old thing over and over again, which is, Uh, There's a way that seems right to me, but the end of which is death. I want to contrast this. If you turn over to Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, this is a very, very interesting chapter in the Bible, almost as interesting as Genesis 6, which isn't the message today, but very interested passage of Scripture there too. But Genesis 11, it says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words, and it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. They settled, okay? It's where they dwelt, but they settled. I think that word's key. Because there's a lot of settling that we do in our lives. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, when you, if you know this passage of Scripture, if you don't read it, God comes down and he confounds their language when he sees what they're doing because their unity that they're walking in, uh, he said with that unity, they'll, they'll accomplish whatever they're going to do. But I want to suggest to you that, that y- what they were doing was actually direct rebellion against God. The Lord had told both Adam and Eve, and thus their descendants, that they're to be fruitful, multiply, and feel the earth spread out. Feel the earth. He tells Noah the same thing in chapter 9 when they come off the ark. And he says to you, you know, you're starting afresh. I want you to multiply and fill the earth. So, in direct cor- you know, conflict against what God had said, these people said, you know what? We don't want to spread out. We want to settle together and be one group. And we want to make a city. So, they're going to build a city and a tower that reaches us to heaven so that we can make a name for who? How much of our life is built trying to make a name for yourselves? I'm serious. And us preachers, we could be the worst. Because we'll stand up here and we start seeing that, man, when we start people listening to them preach and they get moved by, you know, by God and God's using us and the next thing you know, we, we so love what God's doing through the people, and the people start looking to us in some ways like we got something special, and we start using the things of God to build a, a name for us. And that's sin. I don't want to ever become that. And I'm asking for grace, Lord, to help me always do everything I do for the sake of Jesus Christ and his glory. One of the things that Jesus said the, he, when talking to the Pharisees to prove Who he was, in a sense, and that he was trustworthy, was the fact that when he talked to the Pharisees, he he told them he did not come seeking his own glory, but the glory of the one who sent him. Christ Jesus' sole purpose was the glory of the one who sent him. And we have to keep that at the forefront of everything we do, because if you say you don't deal with this, just give yourself time the right circumstance in your life, and all of a sudden there's going to be something that rises up where you want to make a name for yourself. It may not be as bold neon signs saying, hey, look at me, I'm wanting to make a name. It can be that subtle thing where we start receiving praise from other people in a wrong way, where it's beginning to feed our identity. That's the same thing. When you start receiving praise from other people, to feed that identity, to make you feel, oh, brother, that worship was so amazing, the way you played that bass, and you allow that to feed your identity and your self-worth, you're feeding on the wrong fruit, buddy. You should be feeding on that God loves you. You are his son. Just like John, the, the, the apostle said, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. That is all the, the approval I need. My father loves me. And yet we feed on the praise of other, people, of other men and women. And that was one of the things that the Lord pointed to. He says, talking about the Pharisees again, he says, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but how does anything you say really matter? Because you're the ones that go around receiving praise from one another. We will be tested in our life to find out, do we do things for God or for people? The person that's got an overbearing boss, and you really want to please him and get ahead in the company, and he asks you to do something that you know is offensive to God, who do you obey? Oh, man, but I'm rising up in this company. Man, I'm going higher. I can feel it. You know, I've just been promoted. You know, things are going good. Good. I'm starting to get recognized for my work. And all of a sudden, you're tested. Hey, I want you to make this deal and, and do this and this and that even though you know that what they're doing is wrong. What do you do? You decide who you're living for. Are you living for the glory of the Father or are you living for your own glory? So, Don't judge these people too harshly here at the tower because we do the same stuff. We build towers and cities. And I want to contrast the difference between the way that we build this tower in our own lives and the way we build this city in our own lives versus allowing ourselves to be like Abraham who will follow God and allow him to build his city. Does that make sense? this stuff is in there for a reason. It does not just show us cool little stories of things God's did. Scripture says, makes it clear that everything that was written was written for our behalf upon whom the ends of the age have come. Everything in there is for our instruction. And so these stories have personal application. And there's big vision, big purpose in a lot of this stuff, but there's a personal application that I want us to come away with today, even though that there's a bigger thing in in this as well. And when you contrast the city and architect, the city that the architect and builder is God that Abraham was following versus the people that wanted to build a city for themselves. And then you look over in Revelations, if you want to turn there, it's Revelations 21. And I love this too because... The end of the book, Revelations 21 and 22 is the last chapters in the Bible, and it's showing us our future. It's showing us heaven. It's showing us what things are going to be like there. It's showing us when the Lord wraps everything up, and that day is coming, by the way. For some of you, it's coming sooner than you think, because <laughs> we're all going to die, there ain't but two kinds of people. People that have died and people that are going to die. <laughs> so that day is approaching, whether it be tomorrow or 10 years or 15 years or 30 years, unless the Lord returns, and he may. He may return in our lifetime. I hope he does. But if he does not, we're every single person in here is going to die. But the Scripture says, teach me to number my days that I may obtain a heart of wisdom. Actually, when you start realizing there's an expiration date on your life, it'll change how you're living. It really will. We need to live like it's um, like we're going to die. All right. So, Revelations. The Lord's given us a picture, but I want us to look at Revelations twenty-one ten. In Revelations 21, John is having this experience. This whole book is brought on by John the Apostle having this experience where he's taken up and he's shown things by God about things that were happening, that were going to happen, and it was the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it takes us right through to the very end when he wraps this up, the whole thing up. And this is going to get wrapped up at some point. This message will too. <laughs> <I> promise. <clears throat> But this whole thing that we're doing in life will be wrapped up. And and he's given us a good picture of it, Revelations 21.10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city. Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Okay. So we're talking about whose city is being built in our lives. Is it a city for us, or is it a city for God? And when you look at this passage, you see that the city is coming how? It's coming from heaven. It's coming down from heaven. God's city comes down to us from him. Our city we build here. If we were writing this script, it would be a city going up. But God wrote it, it's a city coming down. So what am I trying to get at? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. If you don't know this scripture, memorize it. This is one of those verses that everybody just needs to know. And because it's just that important. And if you can get this one thing that I'm going to say to you and practice it, your life will never be the same, ever, ever. Proverbs chapter three, five through seven. I'm going to read it to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So this, this verse tells us that our trust is to be in him. But you know, we say that and don't do it. Because if we're trusting in him and we're not leaning to our own understanding, when God says, I want you to get up and I want you to sell your house and sell your furniture and shut down your businesses and get up and go somewhere I'm going to take you, if you really trust Him and not your own understanding, what are you going to do? You're going to put a for sale sign in the yard. You're going to start packing. Every day, we have opportunities to trust God or trust our own mind. Lean not into your own understanding. Do you know that in Romans 8, it talks about how the mind that's set on the flesh is actually an, at enmity or at war with God. When our mind is allowed to be carnal, that's, just, that's not just talking about, hey, a mind that's set on sexual sin or it's set on stealing stuff. It's the carnal mind. It's the natural mind. It's the mind that leans to its own understanding. I'm not going to do this, God, because I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. Why would you ask me to sell all my stuff and go move somewhere? That doesn't make sense. That ain't God. I'm not doing it. And we, every day of our life, we make decisions of things that are God or not God based on whether or not we understand it. We make decisions every day based on what makes sense to us and we filter God through that little filter called our brain, our peon brain. Do you know how peon your brain is? I can't hardly tell you where I was yesterday. How am I going to tell you where I'm going to be tomorrow? I'm serious. I'm 49 and I feel good, but I still can't tell you you, I, my kids, hey, Dad, you remember when I said that? Nope. <laughs> hey, you said this to me. No, I don't remember that. <laughs> my brain is so limited. It's such a little peon, but we worship this thing. You know how you worship it? Because you filter what you're going to do based on what makes sense to you. But that's insanity. For a Christian, it's insanity. You know why it's insanity for a Christian? Because we have access to God who has given us the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost, it was poured out. And we have a counselor that Jesus said would lead us into all truth. And we can ask, Lord, what is your will? What are you saying to me? And when we lock in on it, we can obey God. The Lord told me to move here. To Wilmington. He actually told me, pack up your stuff and move and shut down your businesses. My wife shut down a hair salon. I told my business partner that I had to go when our company was doing pretty good. He didn't like that. Why are you leaving? God said, move to Wilmington. You're going to pastor a church there. Really? You've been asked to, to, to go pastor church? No, I didn't. <laughs> well, what do you mean? Well, the Lord told me I was going to be, though. And he told me I need to move now. That don't make sense. You're right. It doesn't, unless I believe God. My mind can't figure that out, but I obeyed God, and I sold my house, and I moved here with my wife and my children with, with no job, I started, we bought a house, which was a miracle in of itself because we have no jobs. And I found out something, you know what? Banks don't care about how much money you got in the bank. All they care about is one thing, your income to debt ratio and your credit, (laughs) two things. You can have all the money in the bank you want, but they ain't giving you a loan if you don't have the right income coming in so that was a miracle in itself but God did it everything that God does in our life that is amazing that is awesome comes from us being willing to follow him into something that's not going to make sense with your mind James gave an example last week he said he smelled meatball raviolis as he walked past somebody. <laughs> That's insane, except for it was God. If you heard the story, you know, James walks past somebody in an aisle, all of a sudden he smells meatball raviolis, and the Lord tells him to go tell him that. And he didn't want to do it. And I don't blame him. I wouldn't either. Well, I've been in that boat. God tell me to go tell somebody something that doesn 't make sense to me, and i 'm scared to death to do it, but you do it, and you see amazing things happen. He goes and does it, and it ministers so much life because these people had lost a son, and their last if I remember this correctly this story correctly, their last dinner with this kid he he died in a car wreck was meatballs and ravioli, and he went off i, I guess upset they didn 't know about his salvation uh, you know and James. And and James sharing with them, and and he ended up being the minister to these people, and they were crying, the lady was crying, and it gave them comfort. You'd have to hear him tell the story, but it gave them comfort that their boy's okay. He's with the Lord. You'd have to hear the whole story, but it started by him not obeying his rational mind, but obeyed the Spirit. And God's going to call us as believers. Who are the sons of God according to Scripture. Say it again. That's right. Romans 8. Let's turn over there. The greatest pride a person can have in their life is to trust their brain over God. God knows everything, but he doesn't tell us everything so that we can walk by faith because faith what pleases him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For everyone that comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How many won't reward? I won't reward. Faith pleases him. And he tells us just enough to see what we're going to do with it. And when we respond in faith, we see miracles. We see power. We see an incredible, exciting life. I came to Wilmington and went to this church for a year and a half knowing I was going to pastor this church. And I had to shut up and be quiet and just trust God after I'd already sold everything to come here. Lord had told me this 14 years prior that I was going to pastor this church. This church didn't exist when the Lord spoke that to me. A year and a half in, pastor resigns. Rick calls me up. Hey, I think you're supposed to take the church. Yes, I am. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. And thus, the, and here I've been, what, four years, five years, something? Five years, actually. No, four and a half. Um, so Romans 8. In Romans 8, 7, we see that because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. When our mind is set on carnal reasoning, we will miss it every time. But in Romans... Uh, eight verse fourteen, you see something that's opposite of that. It says, "For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. God's kids listen to him and follow him." Jesus said, "My sheep hear my voice, and another they will not follow." In the in the when the children of Israel were in the the desert. God led them by a cloud of fire at night and a cloud by day. And if the cloud set still, they all set still in their tents. That, meaning they camped there. They didn't necessarily stay still in their tents, but they, they camped there and they did not move. But as soon as that cloud got up and started moving, oh, it's time to go. And they packed their stuff up and they followed a cloud. And the, the writer of Hebrews tells us that they weren't following a cloud, they were following Christ. And so, that was a picture, and it's, God was trying to train them to be spirit-led. Follow the spirit. If you think something's God, obviously it needs to not contradict the Word of God, you know. If somebody says, man, I had, Lord told me to go murder this person. No, he didn't. How do you know that? Thou shalt not murder Oh, I think I'm supposed to, the Lord told me to leave my wife. No, he didn't. (laughs) I hate divorce. That's what the Lord says. Obviously, I'm not talking to people who are are his husband or spouses. um, there There are biblical outs for marriage, okay? I'm not trying to put some legalistic thing. I'm just saying in general, the scripture needs to be our first filter for what we're hearing God say, okay? But, there is something in our fallen DNA that does not want to follow any plan that we can't rationalize with our mind. And I'm afraid that that's the only plan God's going to give us. It is. And we get to determine whether we're going to be led by the Spirit or not. Now, how many want to be sons of God? I do. He said, those that are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. And so I feel like there is a, one principle that I have in my life that has served me well is practicing that Proverbs 3. I don't make a major decision in my life until I pray about it and feel like I'm doing what God is telling me to do. And if God's not telling me, then I wait until I hear something if I can, like meaning, there's some decisions you have to make instantly, but you know, But those I should still pray and try to hear God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God and he will direct your path. That's a no-brainer. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> Why? He already knows the end from the beginning. I know that his desire for me is greater than my, my own. He loves me more than I love myself. So I know, that his, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a future and a hope, Jeremiah, right? He has good plans for us but we have to stop worshiping at the altar of the brain. Rationalization, our own trusting what our mind says. Because that's really, if God tells you, uh, Josh says this sometimes, and I really like it. If God tells you to do something and you have to check with anything before you obey, that's an idol. If you have to check your checking account to know if you're going to obey God before you obey him, then that's an idol. Well, our brain is an idol. If we have to gain rational understanding of something before we obey the Lord... Now, I'm not talking about... There's people that are struggling to really... They're growing in their relationship with the Lord, and they're not quite hearing him very well yet. You know, there's nothing wrong in a young Christian seeking counsel, having pastoral oversight. You know, if you're a young believer and you need, you know there's nothing wrong with running things by people okay that's important actually but when you're a mature believer Jesus says my sheep know my voice he didn't say his little lambs there's a growing up into knowing his voice and when you're a mature believer you should know the voice of your father and when the lord starts speaking to you and you really have a heart to obey your heart's to obey, and you're seeking, Lord, is this you? He will help you see that it's him. If you keep asking, Lord, is this you? I think this is you. Is this you? And your heart is to obey. Your heart's not to disobey. You know what I mean? Because you can say, oh, Lord, is this you? And you really don't want to obey. That's a different thing. You're going to hear what you want to hear. But when your heart is, I may not like what you tell me, Lord, but man, I want to obey you. Would you give me grace to obey you? Would you give me a heart after your heart that I want to please you so much that even if you ask me to do something I don't want to do, Lord, I want to do it. Help me, Lord. Is this your will? Out of that heart, I promise you, God will show you. And you, when you know it's the Lord, go do it. Go do it. The moment that you, God knows when you know and when you don't know, and when it's sincere and unsincere, we lie to ourselves all the time. You know what I mean? The heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can understand it? We lie to ourselves all the time. That's why I'm like, if, if the Lord's telling me something that I really want, I spend extra time praying over it to make sure that I'm hearing God's voice and not my own desire. It's funny because when God's telling me something I don't want, I still spend extra time <laughs> praying to make sure that I'm hearing what God's telling me because I don't want it. <laughs> but the bottom line is I'm not going away until I know what the Father wants and then I'm going to do it. And if I fail at it, I need to get up, repent of it, and get right back on track with him. Go and obey. Does this make sense? This really is the key to live in a successful life, and I don't mean successful in the world's eyes, I mean a successful life as in it's going to bear eternal fruit. Your life's going to matter. It's the difference between allowing having God build your life or you build your life. There's people that die with lots of money, lots of success. They're, they're you know, got mansions all over the place, very famous people And when they die, they come to nothing because everything they have ends with their life, with their death. It really does. Their money goes to somebody else. If the most famous people in the world, most of them are forgotten within a generation or two. But those that allow God to build their house, they have an eternal city that has a real foundation. The Lord says to his children, if you give one of these in my name, even a drink of water, you will not lose your reward. What do you think he'll do with a life that's surrendered to him? So this is where we're back to the white flag. We need to live a life of surrender to God. I'm not trusting in my own ability I'm trust, or my own reasoning. I want to trust him who knows all, who sees all, who when he tells you to, you know, it's like Indiana Jones, y'all seen The Last Crusade, where it's an older movie, you know, for you young'uns that might not know, but that was a pretty good series for us older folks, and um, in The Last Crusade, they were, he had to take a leap off of this mountain with a big fall and that was the test to whether or not he believed that there was a path that he couldn't see. Proof's in the pudding, as we say in the South. You know what I mean? We, you know, when you, you, If you really trust him, you take that step. And if you don't, that means you're not trusting him. If I trust that there's something here that I don't see, then I step out. But if I'm unwilling to step out, that proves I'm not trusting him. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray real quick, and I want to ask God for grace, because you can't do anything in your own strength. But I want the Spirit of God to endow us with grace to learn to live this way, so that we would realize, because, and that's really the purpose of this message, is to help us wake up to the fact at how we build cities for our own name, when we do things in rebellion to God, and we may not think it's rebellion, but when we do things based on what we think makes sense, even when we're feeling the Lord telling us something else, or we think something makes sense, so we think it must be God, and so we go and we do a life that we're building, and some of us do it even in the name of God. Oh, you know, God's moving me here. Did He move you here? Y'all know what I'm saying? It just made sense to you, so you assumed it was God. So it's to wake us up to realize how we make decisions every day that are building that tower, building that city, rather than allowing God to build our our life. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. For it's vanity to rise early and go to bed late and eat the bread of painful labor for the Lord gives to his beloved even in their sleep. Lord, give us grace, Lord. Father, we want to live for you. We don't want to worship at the idol of our own understanding. We want to worship you, the living God, the God that knows the end from the beginning, the God that has good plans for us, the one that wants to bless us with his kingdom. Father, give us the grace to stop living for ourselves and start allowing us us to pursue the city that's builder and architect is you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, give us grace today to start surrendering our lives to you in every area big and small from the car we drive to the house we live in to the job we take where we live how we live what school our kids go to we are not our own we've been bought with a price lord give us grace to walk in this thank you lord Thank you, Lord.